The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Winnipeg Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, martial arts analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, and you can find me as well on MMA Junkie Radio five days a week, in fact... This year program is being recorded from MMA Junkie Radio Studio in the Mandalay Bay, right here in the Racing Sports Book, right here in Las Vegas. That's right. Um, in the studio today, uh, we just wrapped up MMA Junkie Radio. In fact, we, we did a little bit of extra state appeal behind the curtain. We did some pre-records for the days we'll be off on Sirius. Yeah, a lot of things to do. As you know, your boy doesn't cut corners either. So... Uh, just essentially, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't uh, procrastinating on you for it being late. Just normal, no procrastination. In fact, no sleep, no food, no Christmas shopping, no watching Star Wars, no playing video. None of none of those normal things that normal people do. Dan Thomas parted with those long ago when he was introduced to the UFC schedule, and up until recently, didn't miss any shows. I only missed one show in the last two years. So give me a break here. At least I got one to you. I didn't miss my streak. We're coming up on one year of this show, so I would have been really extra pissed to bust into my ass for this whole, you know, uh, whatever stretch it's been on for this this crazy record-breaking 11 fight card in 11 week, whatever it is the UFC stretch has been. But it's almost one year anniversary is what I was trying to say for this year podcast. That's right. UFC 207, the end of December was our first episode, so we are approaching a one year, so I definitely didn't want to mess it up and, and, and miss a breakdown. I think I missed a week before, but I made up for it because this is show number 61, and if you break down how many weeks are in a year, and yeah, anyways, we're ahead of schedule that time, but the whole crux of the show is breaking things down. I mean, that's kind of the crux of what I offer. Why else would you listen to my crazy ass? Let's be honest. So it's here. Uh, let, 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 let's move on, Dan. Let's not, let's not, <laughs> let's not get into that tangent. Uh, your audience understands. They don't care. They just care about what the uh, breakdown is. So let's get to that. All right. All right. But a few notes off the top, speaking of the podcast, speaking of coming into a new year, which is going to be 2018 next year. Um, I do want to step up the podcast, and that's what another reason why my frustration, aside from the normal stuff, uh, might be coming through, is because <laughs> I just tweeted out a day a day ago apologizing to this podcast and the listeners of this here podcast because yeah, Dan Tom's been treating it a bit like the redheaded stepchild, uh, you know, giving it its fair share of beatings, uh, you know, keep it in line, keep it scared, but no, 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 really, I feel like I've been neglecting the show a bit. It, it's just been kind of a, it's been understandable, right? I mean. Not just trying to, you know, vent or play violin. That's not my intentions, believe me. But legitimately, I mean, your boy, your boy does a lot of work. A lot of work that he doesn't talk about behind the scenes. Just a lot of work in general. Um, everybody complains about fucking 80-hour weeks, but believe me. Yeah, uh, your boy's going to take his first vacation first week of January. I'll be off. That's right. It is my first vacation in over two years. Um, was going to go to Hawaii, but that's another story. Fucking ticket prices are out of control. Anybody hear me on that, by the way? Tweet me at Dan Tom MMA if you want to vent your 
your frustration on fucking ticket prices. For the beginning of January, it's supposed to be the cheapest time to fly, right? Right? Who's who's flying? Everyone's back in school. You're back in work. You've got your your motivationals. You've got your goals. You you got your new quarters for work. Nobody's fucking traveling in January yet. Yet, for whatever reason, this time I usually I know this because I, I always go to Hawaii. The cheapest month, the cheapest time for me to go home and visit my families in January. But of course, of course, two years without a vacation. God forbid Dan Tom wants to take off. Sky prices skyrocket. Anyways, neither here nor there. We're gonna get to the breakdown. But 2018. Um, I've already begun the process of stepping the podcast up is what I was going to say, despite me being late and disoriented. I, in fact, I've already uh, started booking top five episodes um, instead of complaining like I normally do, like I'm doing now about the UFC schedule and having it you know, not let me do normal life things, much less extracurricular work things, much less maybe not extracurricular work things, promised work things like top five episodes. No, not going to let it get in the way. Um, what I, so my plan is essentially I'm booking top five episodes. If you have any suggestions uh, or want to, you know, questions on booking guests or anything like that, um, protect Yannick podcast at gmail.com or for just general questions you want on the show, protect Yannick podcast at gmail.com or contact me or the show on Twitter at the PYN podcast. Also, it's addressed for Instagram and Facebook, Facebook. That's right, at the PYN Podcast, or like I said earlier, at Dan Tom MMA. Already getting some books, going to have them recorded, kind of going to sprinkle them out between breakdown episodes. Sorry, I'm talking fast, not on crack, just trying to give you the expedited version. But going to sprinkle out the top five episodes between breakdown shows, feed them out to you that way. Yeah, all good, real quick. Thank you for those of you clicking through Amazon. It's Christmas time. For those of you who actually have lives, people to shop for, and time to shop, Thank you for those of you who have been clicking through the Amazon banner. It has not gone unnoticed. I will not be giving you a shout-out. This episode of your products, a shout-out, I should say. It doesn't list who you are. But, you know, I like to pontificate on the products bought through the Amazon click-through banners at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, the host of this, this year's show, in case you're looking to give back, feeling generous for the holiday season, or to give back for the hours of analysis in case any of this has helped you in any way. I hope it does, not just in making money, but lessons about martial arts, maybe even life if you listen to the ranting deep enough, neither here nor there. I appreciate the fuck out of you guys is the point. Same goes for the iTunes five stars rating and reviews and the on it banners. Boom. You like that? Everything's plugged. Cool. Six minutes in. We're getting right to the breakdown as usual on this here program. We break it down from bottom to top. UFC Winnipeg is the card. Uh, I will spare you the recap for last card. I didn't do good. I think I went like five and six in picks. I think it was my second. I want to say the second, possibly third. Uh, negative picks that I've had all year. Not too bad, huh? Not missing all the cards, cards putting my ass on the line for all the picks and plays, and only ended up in the negative uh, as far as pick ratio goes that many times. Not too bad. Uh, everybody else kind of bad for what it's worth. For what... If you did good on betting, though, props to you. You deserve to do good. But I'm just talking about picks, obviously. Uh, I'm not talking about you degenerates, you sharps out there. Um, I did see some of you do good. So, so again, props to y'all. Uh, like that for the recap? How fast and disjointed was that? Okay, cool. All right. All right. Now we're going to take a breath, settle in, and we've got UFC Winnipeg to look forward to. Um, And I I might actually try to pay it off because since with the the schedule not letting me really do recaps or anything, uh, I might actually do bring back the old recap episode since we're going to have a two-week break and the UFC Fox card that starts early so it ends a bit early. But it starts with Danny Roberts versus Nordin Taleb. Um... This is my first official dog pick, and I this is one of the dog picks that I I, I put my money where my mouth is too because uh, Danny Roberts, I, I got him at plus one hundred five. I I, I should have got him earlier, 
but I didn't, and then now money's coming in on him, so I think he is, uh, is plus 110. Okay, never mind, maybe not. He's going back the other way. Now I, I probably bought him at a bad time, but either way. He's a slight dog, but I think it's worthwhile. Essentially, Nordin Taleb, underrated talent, TriStar, Tiger Muay Thai. Um, he loves the Muay Thai style. He does the little diaper Albini thing, good leg kicks. More importantly, he's really good at countering leg kicks. Problem is... Hot Chocolate Roberts disguises like it's not going to be as easy to catch as an Eric Silva one or or any of the other people that he catches. And in fact, not only does he time it, is he faster, is he more craftier with it? He fires it from a southpaw stance, meaning his traditional targets of leg kicks, Nordin Taleb's traditional targets of leg kicks from his orthodox stance won't be there. Of course, there's an inside leg kick. Of course, he knows what one is. But if we're looking at his traditional arsenals um those won't be there plus you got to incorporate a speed advantage and a footwork advantage which i give to the slicker danny hot chocolate roberts now danny roberts you can question his chin a bit uh took some shots from bobby nash Ooh, bobby nash say what you will about his chin believe me a lot to say there the dude can still hit hard he took some shots he came back um and that was an important fight because he had a life-changing knockout from mike perry in october of 2016 um that took him a little bit to come back from uh danny roberts has also improved his wrestling he's been training stateside for a couple of years he got that triangle choke win after working with my former coach neil melanson uh he's been continuing working his wrestling in jiu-jitsu stateside i'm not sure if he's still working with neil he might have just stayed with Henry Hoof, which means he's working with Gilbert Durino, not a bad guy to work for your jiu-jitsu. Um, and, and, and yeah, uh, so I, I think he's going to be able to hold his own there, and especially that Bobby Nash fight. Like, if you look at the first round, it was a close round, and he's on his back, and there's literally like 20 seconds to go, and most guys are like, okay, it's been a hard-paced round, especially even if it's not been a hard-paced round, you'll see guys succeed. They'll be like, all right, you know what? I'm already on my back. I already won or lost this round. Regardless, I'm already on my back. I'm not going to waste energy. I'm not going to take a shot trying to get up or risk getting my back taking choke trying to get up. I'm just going to succeed, play it safe, and ride out the round. Not Danny Roberts. Uh even getting hit, even in the close round, being tired, all these intangibles, trying to get his feet back uh, uh, under him from coming back from a brutal loss. No. The last 20 seconds, Danny Roberts rolls out, and of course he's doing excellent hand fighting, which is how he gets the triangle offense uh, going in his fights previous, but also helps in the transitions of wrestling. He hand fights, keeps an awareness of where Nash's wrists are, gets up. Nash tries to get a front headlock on him, but Danny Roberts is safe playing good awareness the whole time little things like that show me improvement show me where a guy's head's at show me where his efforts at that he's going to fight and that is important because nordine's taleb's best path to victory like many tri-star guys is winning rounds working behind that steady measure pace a late takedown a late punctuation and that's why nordine taleb is also kind of in close fights because he kind of depends on that he depends on those terms he depends on that pace but if you look at it even in fights that he wins when fighters push that pace on taleb when he taleb is not allowed to control those terms he has a little bit of a harder time i don't think danny roberts is going to let him control those terms i think he's going to have trouble trying to get a beat on danny roberts i think danny roberts is the better striker and can negate said wrestling attempts like i just explained i played danny roberts for uh, half a unit at plus 105. He's now listed at plus plus 110 at five times. All right, next fight. Eric Silva, Jordan Mean. Another fight where I took the dog, but no plays. Is This fight is on the avoid list for obvious reasons. One of the most volatile fights. We have Eric Silva as the underdog, plus 115. Jordan Mean is the favorite, minus 135. Essentially, both young guys, both their regions, Canada, Brazil, big regions, both depending on them to be their next big thing. 
but sure enough, it fell apart, and they have had, um, to put politely, a rocky career since. You could essentially flip a coin, and you can't argue either way on this one. The reason, though, why I went with Silva and Silva is also, along with Danny Roberts that we just mentioned, a part of the DraftKings team is because a volatile fighter, an underdog, a fight you want to avoid. Well, those tend to be kind of popular picks for fantasy, depending on your style of play and the style of roster that I did. Well, Eric Silva fits that. He is the more volatile guy as far as first-round finishes when in comparison to Jordan Mean. Jordan Mean, but but the deciding factor honestly came down to not analysis, but came down to Instagram. Um, since Usada, you know, uh, not only has Eric Silva's performances been extra volatile, but his body has not looked the same, and that's been a big criticism of him. Um, but he looks to be in the shape of his life heading into this one. I mean, he looks better in the pictures I've seen heading into this fight than he had pre-USADA. So I'm going to side with Silva for there, but we'll see. All right, next one. Alessio Di Chirico, slight favorite, minus 125 is Alawale Bomboze. This one could be on the avoid list, and I don't blame you, but I took the bait. As you guys know, if you've been following my breakdowns or listening to me, you'll know that Di Chirico is one of those guys I'm high on. Not high on as in, is he going to be a champion? Probably not. Is he going to be a contender? Probably not. Is he going to be a top 15? You know, probably not. Uh, maybe he will be. Who knows? He's still young. But I'm high on him in the sense of he exceeds expectations. I, I, I picked him uh, in his fight before he fought Boyan Velichkovich because looking at his footage before he got to the UFC, I was just really impressed with his transition game and his wrestling. And transition, obviously, such an important uh, part of the game. But he almost reminded me of a GSP, the way he changed levels, hits his power doubles. And again... Wrestling, if we're going to stereotype European fighters, it's not usually their strong strength, and especially from European scenes that aren't as developed, which Italy is, but as seen through other guys that are coming through, like Marvin Vittori, another middleweight from Italy, they're developing scene, and these guys are coming, and you can either gauge each guy honestly and do your homework on them, or just go with the stereotype and say guys from this country suck and so forth and miss on possible opportunities. Um, this is a possible opportunity. It could fail miserably, but you know what? I'm jumping on it. You don't have to, but I did, and that is why the Chirico made my prop list. I mean, you could play him straight up, and that might be the safer, but essentially the dynamic is this. The dynamic of this fight is the dynamic of any fight all Wale Bongbose is involved in. He is a do-or-die fighter who lives and dies by his sword. He's sporadic. He switch stances. And if those switch stance traditional attacks fail, and it doesn't look like he's adding much more considering that he's training with the, the same uh, roustabout randoms according to his social media, well, then we see Bongbose start to slowly slow down, fade, fall apart. And against a guy like DiCirico who's well-rounded, and more importantly than being well-rounded of the skills that I just said, he can... Throw a counter strike, a decent counter right hand. More importantly, throwing a decent counter right hand against a wild striker like Bambose, he is durable and not easily shaken. The Italian kid loves to fight. And that is almost the main thing you need against a guy who dynamic is win in the first round or essentially fall apart like Bambose. So in a do-or-die uh, scenario, I'm going to follow with uh, Alessio Di Chirico, who not only for the reasons I stated, but hey, an 80% finishing rate doesn't hurt so if I took him in DraftKings, which I did, and if I am going to play him, well, I'm going to just play him for plus money. It's right next door to it, and it is the most tangible path to victory. Again, in a battle of the man last standing, I will go with Di Chirico, and uh, I took him inside the distance at plus 150. I only sprinkled a quarter unit. I didn't get crazy, but I was looking for a plus prop to play. This was the one that jumped out the most, that made most confident. So I listed it on my props to go with another fight, which we will get to 
Well, fuck it. It's the next one next, so we'll get to it next. John McDessie, plus 145, versus Abel Trujillo, who's minus 165. I honestly thought about, um, like, uh, you know, like max bet status for Abel Trujillo, essentially, you know, like when I saw it. Just because uh, McDessie's one of those guys who's just on his way out. He's talked about retirement too much. He's self-admittedly is, is a bit of a mental case himself. Um, but I got scared away. One, he went to Duke Rufus's camp, and again, we, you know, it feels like the people either are really on board with the Duke Rufus camp or stereotype against it and don't like that camp. Not a way to go. You just got to judge everything like MMA. Everything is case-by-case scenario. These stereotypes can get you in trouble. And if you look at it, that camp does very well when it comes to guys with traditional martial arts base. Uh, you know, not just their poster child, Anthony Pettis, but Paul Felder, who's found recent success. Um, and it's because, again, I, I come from the Taekwondo and Karate background. So when we have these guys on, I like to talk to them about that because it's it's this weird class of martial artists where it's not just traditional martial artists, but it's guys who came up in the 90s before MMA was around or popular and was around, just wasn't popular. And you came up doing the traditional martial arts wave of the 90s. And I always appreciate these guys because they had an... They almost had it harder than these athletes who came over and just learned, right? Because we see it, like these Roy McDonald's, these guys who start from mixed martial arts, they progress much faster. Whereas guys like myself, we almost had trouble, I don't want to say myself like lumping me in with these guys because I am nowhere near them. Obviously, I'm just speaking from my personal experience as somebody who's dedicated their whole freaking life to mixed, uh, to martial arts in general and came from these similar backgrounds where when I got into MMA, and I know these guys have had these similar experiences even more so because they're fucking professionals, but you, it, it's almost harder for us, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is because you have to unlearn. You know that saying, empty the cup? You can't learn if your cup is full. You have to pour the water out if you want new water in your cup. It's an old Buddhist proverb there. Go look it up. Uh, but um, it's hard because we're not coming in with empty cups to fill with the updated knowledge of mixed martial arts. We were coming in with old, oftentimes very bad knowledge from out-of-date martial arts, um, etc. Maybe even bad teachers. It could have been, you know, it could have been a lot of different things. We, a lot of us came in with bad information, so we had to get our ass kicked before we found out that it didn't work. Then we had to go through the process of unlearning it. And then, three steps later, we go through the process of learning what other people come in and learn on their first day it doesn't always equate like that doesn't always mean we're going to learn slower but i'm just saying it's another dynamic anyways the point is mcdessey could do a lot better and another point kind of touching on last week with my my again uh i I didn't do a bad a good recap but i i will recap highlight a a failure of mine i had no problem admitting when i'm wrong which was alejandro perez now admitting i'm wrong on alejandro perez because i let a little bit of emotion there are certain guys where their style just fucking angers me and even mcdessey fits under this despite my pontification on the traditional martial arts and that is there are just certain styles that are just maddening i just don't get it it just feels like you're just fucking lingering there and and alejandro perez and john mcdessey in that sense are are similar to me because it just doesn't feel like they're doing anything mcdessey i went back and watched recently with more fine-tooth comb he actually does a lot more than i give him credit for so forgive my broad stroke paintbrush but I'm, i'm trying to make a broader point here um the point is you can get a little dangerous betting emotionally obviously you shouldn't need me to tell you that but the best of us are all susceptible from it to time to time. There are certain guys where we just like to fade. And that doesn't mean we should stop fading them. I, I'm staying on that fade trade for Alejandro Perez because you know why? Aside from maybe me overestimating his way to shout out to uh, uh, the MMA genius. I know he likes that word weasel a lot. But it's so fucking true. Alejandro Perez, is, he, the, the dude fucking weasels decisions. And and, and that's true. I did. I, I was wrong in underestimating that. But what I wasn't wrong in 
is the fact that uh, what the fuck does Alejandro Perez do do good? I'll wait. Dan, this is live. This is an expedited episode. It's not a time to prove a point. I don't give a fuck. I will wait because leg kicks, let's run right hands, uh, triangle chokes, takedowns, get up game, uh, bullshitting your fighter in corner. I don't. I'm going through the list and none of them are fucking checks for Alejandro Perez. Like the guy doesn't. He's just fucking there. He's just fuck. And hey, it's good enough. The, 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 the retard durability, retarded look in my face. I'm just gonna throw strikes randomly and just kind of just be there. Hey, it works. To McDessie's credit, rounding it back to this matchup, he does do more than that. He does do more than that. So essentially, it scared me away. You know, and Trujillo, again, we've only got two fights from him. Why should I be so confident in playing Trujillo? It was only two fights. You know, it was an unimpressive win against Jordan Rinaldi where he was revamping his style, you know, going to the yoga, the veganism, a little bit of camp changes there, going to his camp of his own. Doesn't come back till the James Vick fight. Your boy played James Vick and did call it by, you know, a, a Darce choke in the third round. I'm not going to lie there and thank you, James Vick, because that was a good day for me. So I should be thanking James Vick and not bumping my chest, by the way, for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't the greatest performance by Trujillo is the main point of it. So it's like, yeah, anyways, I pumped the brakes on that. But what I did play, I know, long-winded here, was the over at minus 190. Um, it has gone up to minus 210 now. Wow. Wow. Uh. Maybe your boy should <laughs> maybe, maybe your boy should start tracking when my article drops and when these lines. Move. Anyways, but um, wow, that moved up pretty fast. But it's one of the more I don't blame it though, honestly, because if you really look at it, it doesn't it doesn't take a no brainer. If you look at the totals, most are listed at two and a half fights that shouldn't be listed at a two and a half over total are listed. This one is a one and a half. But again, I'm not just playing it based on the lines. You go chasing the odds. You go chasing bets that aren't there. Um, Essentially, McDessie, like I was kind of alluding to, has a style where he elude, he, he lulls fights into a long-paced process. And Trujillo, though he is a do-or-die fighter at heart, he still is, he has shown some adjustments. He has been uh, slowing his pace down. Um, and with both guys being proven, both guys being durable, and facing another canary in the coal mine theory that if those listeners of this show know I've been kind of chasing for a while, when fighters need a win very badly especially when both fighters need to win very badly, they tend to fight more conservative. So I am now factoring that in, into my decisions on playing overs or unders. So I took a shot for one unit at minus 190. It's chalky, I know, but it balances out for the overall how I kind of spreaded my money management in play. So I wanted something chalky to play here. This rounds out uh, my props um, and yeah, the over. All right, anyways, next fight. Uh, all right, uh, Galore Bofondo versus Chad Laprise. This is on the avoid. Um, I essentially think Ch- Chad Laprise minus one fifty, Galore Bofondo plus one thirty. Uh, essentially, uh, I wanted to pick Bofondo here. There's just not enough information. It's one of those analyst picks where I'm typically going with the guy just because there's not enough information on him. Would they have such a low sample size? Like, unless I feel completely sold or compelled, or there's something that I see, then I almost feel compelled to go the other way. Um, so I did there. I mean, essentially, think Laprise is going to use his footwork and stymie the fight. Uh, could be wrong. I don't care. This is just a wait and see. I want to wait and see what's going on with both guys. So that's that. Next, Julian Marquez versus Darren Stewart. Almost went on the avoid list, for, but the, it's not really that inflated for him being the biggest favorite. Again, kind of proves that this is the biggest, uh, 
you know, this this is the uh, this proves this is a card full of firefights. When this guy's the biggest favorite, and the biggest favorite is only a minus three twenty five, no matter who it is, and that's Julian Marquez, minus three twenty five favorite over currently plus two sixty five. Darren Stewart, uh, English guy, dropped to one eighty five, making a quick turnaround because it was a real disappointing last time out uh, to Robertson, his rear naked choke, his first stoppage loss at uh, I believe it was was it Pittsburgh. I believe I believe it was the Pittsburgh for show or the Norfolk show on November 11th. Yeah, maybe it was uh, Norfolk. Um, but yeah, he wants to get back in there. He looks in good shape. He didn't take much damage, but even though I don't know about minus 325, I definitely agree and can see why Julian Marquez is favorite. I didn't play him though because he still has a to go against a sample size against proven guys. You know, and I'm not counting uh, the first round knockout against a kind of a, a a washed Matt Hamill. No offense to Matt Hamill. But, yeah, uh, aside from that, though, a lot, lot to like about Julian Marquez. Trains a little bit through the roof of sport. Trains out here uh, as well. A syndicate MMA with John Wood he, uh, here in Las Vegas. He's from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and there's a lot to like about him. His one loss is, was, was the most fun fight of his to watch. It happened in Bellator about a year and a half or two years ago. And it was a fun three-round decision where it feels like, by the way, anybody else that did homework on this guy, did it feel like Jimmy Smith was like spent the first half of that fight calling the other guy Marquez and vice versa? It felt like he confused the fighters. I, please reach out to me because that's really bugging me. Anyways, but yeah, that's what it felt like. Anyways, it's a good fight to watch because it was a. If you're gonna lose a fight, <laughs> it's the kind of fight you want to lose, like a fight of the night back and forth war where there could have been an argument for you winning. You know what I'm saying? Where where neither fighter lose stock, and that's essentially this one guy's loss. Um, he's got heavy hands, but yet he moves around kind of like a Cain Velasquez, kind of a thick. Think Mexican guy who's got that cardio and, and can throw that lay down that volume. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the wrestling like Kane. In fact, I think wrestling is going to be his kryptonite. Unfortunately, wrestling and guys the good ground games seem to be Darren Stewart's kryptonite. For that reason, either guy could want to get it to the ground, but they're probably going to stand and bang. It's just hard to get a beat on whether it's going to you know get an angle, whether it's going to go decision, whether it's going to be an inside the distance, or even who if you really want to be objective about it. So I stayed away, but it is not on the avoid list. Last on the prelims, I was going to blow right through, but I got a piece, so I'm going to take a break after this one. Um, it'll be an excuse to play some uh, Win- Winnipeg, some one of my favorite bands from Winnipeg, Comeback Kid, baby. That's right, Comeback Kid, guitar player, old singer from Figure Four, baby. Punk rock, hardcore, taking it back to 04. Dance, you, fuck you, youth crew, what you gonna do? All right, next fight. Sorry about that. We'll get to the music in a second, Dan. Relax, relax. Jan Blackowitz, plus 155. Jared Cannonier, minus 175. The favorite. I see people playing Cannonier on Twitter's verse. Um, I, I don't blame them. I stayed, the, I stayed away from this fight, though. Um, not because not of Blackowitz's last performance. That was a weird one. I'm not going to put too much credit in, into it. But I'm also not going to let it fuel the negative uh, narrative. That justifiably so was on Jan Blackowitz, who lost four or five UFC fights, winning only ones against, you know, aside from the Ilir Latifi win, which was, you know, a liver shot and was impressive. Don't want to take anything away. Aside from that, didn't really have much impressive things going for him, depending on how you want to look at it. So he should be the dog here, and I definitely picked Cannon here. I think it's going to be a stand-up fight, though I will say, you know, Blockowitz, he hit a really nice double leg on Darren Clark and chained it. And if you notice, despite getting the submission win in front of his hometown and just a win in general for what his narrative, again, was shaping out, of all things Jan Blockowitz highlights in his post-fight interview was the wrestling. And it was. It was, it was one of those things where it was like, I get it. Like, I'm the kind of guy, like... Okay, if, I, I don't get submissions as much these days, believe me. I'm just lucky to get my ass in the gym. But if I get a couple submissions during a class or a practice, when I go home, I'm not 
high about the submissions. I'm usually high about like a transition, usually a wrestling transition, getting out from a bad spot, or doing something wrestling-wise, which was traditionally my weakest spot, is competing uh, when I would do that well. And that's what I would take home when I was unpacking the practice session and kind of reviewing notes in my head. It would be those things. So I appreciated that Jan Blockowitz, of all things he had to be happy for, was happy about that double leg. But the reason why I bring it up to you now is because, again, like the previous matchup, when two guys have both the same weakness, if one of the guys is smart, you shouldn't be surprised to see him go for go and try to exploit that weakness, even if that means doing something that he's not strong at, just because he knows it's going to fuck the other guy up. And I could totally see Jan Blockowitz doing that to Jared Cannonier, not just because they both struggle with wrestlers, but once they get to the ground, Jan Blockowitz does have a significant advantage. He is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and, you know, I, I criticize him. He was more of a guard guy in his regional scene, and he did have a kind of a, a crafty guard for a 205 guy, but... One, the guard is not something to relate on. And two, his guard looked less mobile once he got to the UFC. He also had a couple of knee surgeries during his transition and right after he first got into the UFC. So it's kind of my theory that Jan, the reason why he was gassing, not looking great on the ground, not having a lot of options compared to if you look at his regional stuff, could be age and injury and all that. Either way, I think Killer Gorilla Cannoneer gets it here. And on that beat... We're going to take a break. I don't want to have to edit in music, but hey, it'll take some time. But it's worth it because it's fucking Comeback Kid. So uh, enjoy uh, some of Winnipeg's finest. I probably chose something on their lighter side to not hurt your ears. We'll be back for the main card. for the UFC Winnipeg expedited breakdown. And we're on the main card. Only four more to go. And the last straight play. Well, now, the way it's looking, the last perhaps even underdog pick, that's right, tipping the hand. Glover to share a plus 135. Misha Serkin off minus 155. This one I will can, can go later on these ones because I did the in-depths. You can find it at MMAJunkie.com if you haven't read those already. But essentially, I got to share it here. I think we're making a little bit too much of the older veteran, Brazilian vet. I don't think he's done yet. More importantly, even though he has lost speed, not only do I not think to share is done, let's talk about speed and let's talk about youth. Usually youth comes with speed and all that stuff and striking prowess. And, hey, to share has been stopped. But to share has been stopped by shots that make sense, at times that make sense, by opponents that make sense. This opponent does not make sense. He doesn't have the speed advantage, though he is younger. And it's not like he's super young. He's 30, which is young for late heavyweight Sirkin office. And I like Sirkin office. He's a really nice guy, great interview, smart, sharp guy. And I want good things for this division. 
I want to see him do well. I think he will do well. So this isn't me hating on Serkinov or anything like that. I just think it is a bad matchup. Um, he's a little bit slow, a little bit lumbering. He's like the lumbering Frankenstein RDA in the sense that he's a southpaw pressure guy. He likes that left cross and left kick, but he's not diverse. He doesn't have the connecting pieces. He doesn't have the smoothness, the craft, the timing, the precision. And I think he's going to need those things against a precise guy, especially when you get into the pocket range like Teixeira. You need certain arsenals. You know, you, for example, an uppercut. I, even though I picked Teixeira against Anthony Johnson, I know, crazy in retrospect. What's even crazier is I even called it. I said... The uppercut is the shot that Johnson is going to have to land if he wins, though, because not just the one shot of, of Johnson, but because Teixeira is open to the uppercut. Again, I always preach it on here, the shell defense. What are the tropes of it? Body shots and uppercuts. Not only does Teixeira shell, but he also dips. So when he gets, when in the Gustafson fight, and I definitely knew um, to not pick Teixeira there, not just because of the uppercut that, that Anthony Johnson showed, but Gustafson is something else that Anthony Johnson didn't have and that what Serkinov doesn't have. And I don't feel he'll bring into your, no matter how hard, he, how hard he tries, which is mobile footwork. Teixeira is more of a plotter, so you not only need a certain arsenals when you do want to strike in the pocket, but you have to be able to avoid that pocket and enter it on your terms, which means you need mobile footwork. Serkinov doesn't have that. Um, and in fact, we saw we saw what happens when he does try to get antsy and try to actually like step on the gas. He, he, he got iced by a right hand. Now, that was a freak right hand. I don't like to say take a dive, but God, it was so bad that you could people could accuse that. I'm not accusing that, by the way. I don't think that for the record. I'm just saying that's how suspect and how odd and outlandish that knockout was. Not to take credit from it, but I'm also too hesitant to put too much credit into it either as well, if you know what I'm saying, if that makes sense. Either way, point is, that aside, I feel like they don't line up that well. Furthermore... Teixeira, even at his old age, can wrestle because he's been wrestling since he was a young man. It just doesn't go away. Now, wrestling does go away with age, yes. But you know what? For, for Teixeira being old, let's look at his last fight where he probably took the worst beating. Probably took so much miles off him. But after being dropped and in the heat of being bombed on, we saw Teixeira re-wrestle his way so smoothly. Recover guard, half guard, full go back to a deep half out the back door like Verdun but chained it up into a double finished the double he did it this really smooth transition I believe it's in round three against Gustafson and it just shows that even hurt old weathered across the across the world this guy can still fucking wrestle you put him anywhere at any state of mind he knows how to wrestle and even though he's not maybe as accoladed on the ground as Serkinov, he is more than talented. I think even Glover's detractors will say that. He's more than talented to at least hold his own. But more importantly, he won't have to hold his own because I think he'll be dictating terms. Because, again, what I'm talking about here, wrestling. Wrestling dictates terms. And I don't think his wrestling um, is, is worse than Serkinov's. In fact, you could probably argue that it's better. Serkinov's great at judo, and that's where most of his takedowns come from. Uh, he does have, you know, reactionary doubles, and, and he knows how he knows his way around, you know, um, how to chain from a single to a double. Um, but that's not his strong point, you know. It's more of judo trips, tosses, stuff from the clinch. And again, just going into that space is going to be dangerous to share. I think to share gets the second round knockout. All right, next fight. Mike Perry versus Santiago Ponzinibbio, the last official fight on the avoids list because this is a gunfight. Uh, you know, um, I believe my man Gorge George is on Ponzinibbio with me, but he's pausing up to put Ponzinibbio in a parlay. This is one of the last fights I was warning him. This one, maybe not. I mean, hopefully the pick's right and he does well. We all do well, of course. But what I'm saying is this is a real dangerous fight for parlay pieces here. Either side you're on, you know. Um, 
this is a dog or pass, but even if you're on the dog and you're really confident in Mike Perry and you're getting plus 150 for him right now, I still wouldn't sprinkle a ton. I mean, it's just a firefight. Like, this is the main event, essentially, our fights that are firefights are dangerous to bet, and they're fights you probably just want to enjoy. Um, as a purist, and two, they're toward the end of the night. They're, they're, they're good fights on paper. You know, you want to you end on a positive and not having to be fucking sweating your enjoyment or wallet or whatever you're risking uh, when you bet, <laughs> which is why your boy Dan Tom bets. I make fun of myself, but there's a, per- there's, a, there's a method to the madness and a reason why I only bet so small because I enjoy the fights first and I want to make sure it stays that way because it shouldn't. This stuff's fun. I'm a degenerate like you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not above you. Believe me. <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm just as guilty. But what I am saying is that, you know, I'm just stressing to keep it healthy because it... Uh, Believe me, there's enough things that can be ruined by our own perceptions in life that we, we ruin for ourselves. Don't do not do that. Hedge those things down. Enjoy the nice things while we have them, uh, including mixed martial arts, uh, while it exists in the form that it does. Hopefully, it only grows. But yeah, anyways, another conversation for another day. Um, yeah, since I got Ponzinibbio here, uh, you know, more savvier striker, more output, uh, better footwork. Again, I think footwork and speed is going to be a thing here. Mike Perry, he's very athletic. He's getting better with his footwork. He showed that in his last two outings, but should still be at a speed footwork disadvantage and and a technical savvy disadvantage. Still, he can win. In fact, whenever these guys clinch, I'm going to be watching through, like, my hands covering my face, looking through my fingers because both of these guys, you'll see my breakdowns. I write strikes off the break, and that's a common one, sure, but it's not applicable to everybody. It's only applicable for people who actually look to make it a point. They show awareness of striking off the break. Those are where some of the most dangerous knockouts happen. Uh, hence, look at Mike Perry, Jake Ellenberger, and, and, and while we're on those two, yes, add a welterweight as deep as it is. These two are honestly the top of the list for guys who strike off the break, and they're facing each other. So, yeah, essentially... Anytime these dudes clench, as soon as they break, expect fireworks. And it's essentially going to be fucking rolling the dice every time these guys break the clinch. Which, again, another reason why I'm not betting on it. Next fight. I have no parlay pieces. Uh, I've been trying to do that lately. I've talked about it before. I've been burnt on it. But you know what? I decided I'm going to exercise it for this for this card. A uh, card full of firefights. If I don't feel confident, don't recommend it after all. Sometimes discipline will win you the day. Actually, not sometimes, all the time if we're really talking about gaming and being smart here, right? Conservative chalk, you can make fun of it all you want, but that's how the smart people do it. That's how uh, you avoid the most losses by just being smart like that. But anyways, point is, if I were to have picked a parlay piece, gun to the head, that's not a total or just, you know, a straight up uh, name and number. Uh, betting line number and fighter name, that would be Ricardo Lamas at minus 260, who's facing Josh Emmett, plus 220 in the co-main event, especially with the last-minute intangibles and for fear of Josh Emmett not making weight, which this morning he didn't. So, yeah, it only increases it further, although that's not a guarantee as well. It's not like back in the day where missing weight was like a death sentence. These days, it's almost like guys do it and uh, almost like, I, I don't know if it's, it's like, it's, Okay, are we a missing weight more with the whole new regimen? You 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 know you you USADA California and their only regulations, all these things, weight cutting, early weigh-ins. But then again, are we also seeing the win ratio on the flip side? We're seeing not only more weight misses, but we're seeing more people who miss weight win a higher percentage. And is that because guys are maybe not cutting all the way like they should, or knowing they're going to miss weight and kind of accepting it? 
I don't know the story. Don't quote me. I only saw headlines. But Tim Means versus Menja was pulled, which sucks. That was a couple hours of my, my life about yeah, that I could have saved from study that I didn't need to do. Anyways, neither here nor there. Point is, Menja was five pounds over. Tim Means or Tim Elliott weighed in, and apparently, Menja was cleared. And Tim Elliott still declined, and I guess he had a good reason for it. I haven't read as to why, so I'm sorry I'm presenting a disjointed story. Anyways, without having confirmed information, it just sounds like one of those things where I don't blame Tim Elliott. You have every right to turn down that fight. Not often do fighters do, but, you know, five pounds over is hefty, especially at flyweight. How much did he try to cut? Maybe it was a situation that I'm alluding to. Even if it wasn't, the point is... Weight misses aren't a guarantee. Josh Emmett could show up and do very well. He's very well-rounded. He's, he's a good wrestler. His striking is really impressive when you look at it. Uh, there's a lot more to come. I think he's going to be developing more. He's shifting a lot more, going from southpaw to orthodox. Um, the way he puts together his punches and the way he reads. He's got really good eyes on punches. He's got good awareness. Even when shots come fast off the break, you'll see him really. He'll duck, change his level, or react to it. I really like that. I think it could be a close fight for that reason on the feet because as much as I love Lamas, you know he's frustrated. You know, I've talked about how he kind of he's been frustrating to watch as far as like <coughs> countering. He doesn't throw counter shots, but his boxing presence has stepped up in the last couple of fights. Um, not just that impressive beating that he put on on Jason Knight, but but in general, um, you got to give Lamas his, his due, man. He's always mixing things up. He's always faking one way and going another. And you know, even though it might be frustrating because you just know how ta- I just know how talented the dude is. Dude's just so damn talented. Um, you'd be a little too too opportunistic for my liking, but still, even if this is a process fight where he has to rely on process and not an opportunistic finish, I still feel that this is a very winnable fight for Lamas. In fact, I feel like he could be even more proactive when it's with his wrestling than usual. Emmett is good. He's got a good sprawl in the opening open, but he's shown he's able to be taken down from the fence. That's where Lamas does his best work, and I think Lamas, the biggest skills gap here is on the ground, does not get enough credit for his grappling. I see him being a level above Emmett. I know Emmett hasn't shown a whole ton for me to be so confident, and he trains with really good people who should have him more than prepared for Lamas' front headlocks, chokes, and so forth, and scrambles, but just because you train with good people doesn't mean you're going to beat good people. If that was the case, I would go train with good people right now because no matter how badly I get beat up with them, hey, I train with good people. What the fuck are you going to do to me if that? If we're really going to run with that theory? It's great. I'm not taking anything away from Josh Emmett. I, I just seeing that as the selling point for him, and I don't, I, I don't buy it until I see it. So uh, until I see it, I'm going with Lamas, but no plays. Main event time. Rafael Dos Anjos, minus 125. Brutal Bob Lawler. Robbie Lawler, ruthless one. Plus 105. I picked Dos Anjos, but I cannot believe that Robbie Lawler is an underdog here. I don't. I, that, that blows me away. I figured Dos Anjos should have been the underdog from the jump, which I believe he might have opened as a slight, even though it was pretty much near pick him for pretty much all week. I still figured Dos Anjos should be the dog. He's the smaller guy, even though he has experience in five-round fights. He has less experience in five-round fights than Lawler. He has less experience than Lawler in general. But maybe that's why. Maybe it is the experience of Lawler. Maybe it's too much experience. Maybe he is wearing down. I mean, he is slowing down. He is wearing down. The durability is going. The power doesn't seem as potent if you really want to, you know, play those stereotypes. But are they stereotypes or are they truths that just depending on our speculation, on our viewpoint, on our opinions, you know, he's only so far into the process, meaning how far is he from being done? I don't think he's close to being done. He could be. 
You know, Robbie Lawler, because that's the thing. Robbie Lawler seems like one of those guys who could look like he could be operating at full capacity until he's not. But that is not why I picked against him. That is not the crux of this matchup. I do break down a lot of it, but essentially just comes down to if Dos Anjos can survive Lawler's power, I think he's got a good chance because Lawler takes rounds off, even in three-round fights. That's uh, something he's always done if you go back to his early fights because Lawler was essentially like a Mike Tyson-like guy who didn't see the first round. And then all of a sudden, you go back to UFC, was it like 29 or 30 or something? I forget, but he's facing um, Texas guy, Pete Spratt. Was making a comeback, I think. Now a, a, a younger Pete Spratt, a younger Pete Spratt, is and he was 32 at this time, and this was like 14 years ago. <laughs> but uh, he gave Robbie Lawler his first defeat, where he used leg kicks, by the way, from the orthodox stance, because Robbie Lawler's laxical leg kick defense. Well, that's a habit that he's ha- he's had from back in the day. He just hasn't really addressed. And one of the leg kicks looked to bother him, and he essentially just kind of tapped out standing and said, I'm done, I'm done. Just looked to the ref and said, I'm done, out of nowhere. And Phil Baroni, who was calling the fight with uh, Mike Goldberg and I forget who else, it wasn't Rogan. But Baroni goes, the next big thing is the next big fuck up. And it was a really weird tone because even Goldberg and them were like, ooh, uh, you know, it's a little bit harsh, Baroni. And then Baroni even caught, even, even Bull Baroni, young Bull Baroni, back then even caught himself, was like, okay, maybe not, but, you know, he quit, he quit. And because it was one of those things where fighters don't like it when other guys look like they quit, especially if it's a vocal guy like 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 Maroney, and he was, who's not afraid to call people out, and he laid into Robbie Lawler, and we saw the struggling Robbie Lawler that eventually, you know, uh, not got him kicked out, but you know, he, he saw him part ways with the UFC because after that he fought Nick Diaz and got that you know memorable knockout loss. Um, and, and, and Robbie Lawler would have this inconsistency, right? And But even though the inconsistency, the one thing that remained true was the leg kick defense and taking rounds off. More importantly, mixed with taking rounds off, mixed with losing fights, or even some fights that he won, just seeing this habit, um, mixed with taking the leg kicks was pressure fighters. Again, Pete Spratt was a guy who pressured. Diaz was a guy who pressured. Diaz got in his face. He wasn't afraid of the Mike Tyson-esque Robbie Lawler that... Um, even though Pete Spratt technically stopped him, I mean, he didn't really hurt him. It was a very anticlimactic stop. We didn't really see Bobby Lawler in trouble, so there was still plenty of reason to be scared. Nick Diaz comes out, is shit-talking him, is pressuring him, and whether it's, it's guys like Nick Diaz who are a southpaw or a Pete Spratt who's an orthodox striker or guys that were like grapplers like Kennedy's or, or Jacare Souza's later on in the strike force career, they pressured Robbie. Robbie's a Tyson guy. He's a pressure guy. Guys that are amazing hammers have trouble being the nail uh, and that's not saying he's mentally weird or anything there's different variations to that and, and Robbie believe me he's a legend he's a champion he's a real fucking fighter uh, I, I criticize him very carefully here because I really do love watching him fight and even if it's my quote unquote job or the quote unquote purpose of this podcast I, at, at my heart of it I hate hearing myself justfully even criticize fighters but it's the name of the game you gotta, you gotta do it we all get criticized right anyways but the point is pressure guys with pressure Leg kicks, southpaws, these are all common things, and RDA has all those things. Sure, he's smaller, but he's shown that he still has a bit in the gas tank. He's still shown that he he has a gas tank. Sure, he was breathing heavy, but I like that he was admitting that he was breathing heavy. First thing in his post-fight, uh, first uh, post-fight after fighting Tarek Safdie in his first fight at welterweight, I got to adjust my gas tanks. I got to make some adjustments. And physically, we didn't really get to see it. The fight only went one round with Magny, but physically before the fight, according to him after the fight, and by all accounts going into this fight, it looks like some adjustments have been made. Where he, re- he almost just looks like a now, just like a now he looks like the buffer version of that 
of, of a lightweight moving up to welterweight. Like, he should. Because I always talk about it. When guys move up, it's dangerous. Because every time a guy moves, just like when a guy changes camp, you also need that buffer. You need that buffer fight. Because even if it's a good guy on a good trend, going to a good camp for the better, there's always that adjusting period. And that same adjusting period exists for changing weight classes. And I spoke about it in this podcast before. Guys move up in weight, a little pudgier. Guy moves down in weight, he's usually a little more skinnier than he needs to be because he was worried about making the weight, so he ended up coming in on weight a little too early. And you also hear guys complaining about that for better or worse, win or lose. So again, very dangerous in these adjusting periods, but even though it's not the biggest sample size against guys like Savadine and Magni, it's big enough for me to pick RDA here. I'm not super confident. Again, surprise, Lawler's the dog. I think he should be the favorite. Um, just because you pick against a guy doesn't mean you, you don't like him. This is a, one of those fight cards. You can tell this is a good fight card when this happens, but it's one of those fight cards where I feel like I'm rooting against half my picks. So that is the case here. Um, I didn't play it, especially now that the odds are not going in the favor of my pick. Because, again, I, and again, I, I probably won't play it, even if it did, because I just want to enjoy this fight. Um, I hope you do, too. So just to recap, uh, straight plays. Uh, par- recommended parlay piece is none. Um, although you know, Lamas is a decent uh, pick for that, I guess. Or, or, you know, Marquez, if you're a believer in him. But uh, straight plays, I played Glover Sher- Deshera, plus 135, half a unit. Danny Roberts, plus 105, half a unit. Props, McDessie Trujillo over a round and a half, minus 190. Rico inside the distance, plus 150 for a quarter unit. Fights to avoid, Chad Laprise, Galore Bofondo from the Congo. Jordan Mean Eric's versus Eric Silva. And lastly on the avoid list is Mike Perry versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. DraftKings team is Santiago Ponzinibbio at the top. RDA second. Danny Roberts third. Eric Silva fourth. Glover Deshera fifth. And rounding it out. Alessio DiCherico, six. That roster total is a low one because everybody is in the mid to lower tier. So it's actually probably my lowest roster total ever. You have a maximum to go $50,000 for your roster total on DraftKings. I only took it to 47800 with those. Those are the picks. Those are the plays. MMAJunkie.com is where you can reference them. Find me at DanTomMMA. Uh, slide in the DTM, D, DTMs, DTMs, bro. Down to message, bro. Um, if you if you're DTM, you can you can slide into my DMs if you're DTM um, and, and want to chat. Um, even though I'm busy, I still somehow try to make time for people to to respond as best as I can. And those of you who talk to me regularly know I'm pretty good about that. As much as I try to act like a cunt. Um, <laughs> and by the way, if I haven't gotten to you, because there's some people that I haven't gotten back to you, there's certain things. There's certain materials that I promised some of you that I would read and get back to you. I've not forgotten about you. I have not big leagued you. Uh, I'm at least I'm trying not to be an asshole. I really, as much as I complain, as much as I'm tired, and as much as I know you're tired of hearing me complain, because again, y'all are we all work hard. We're all grinders. I hope we all are at least. Um, so believe me, this isn't a me playing my violin. I'm not trying to complain. I'm not trying to be self. It doesn't mean to come off like that at all. Believe me, I'm tired. That complaint, but I legitimately am fucking beyond busy more than most people <laughs> will ever, and I hope to ever know to get to the levels of tired that I've experienced in these past couple months. But believe me, I'm not trying to big league any of y'all. Uh, if I haven't gotten back to you, uh, I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm not ignoring. I am really sorry, and I will be making a due diligent effort to be cleaning those up. I already am. Um, we actually have two weeks off from fight cards. Thank God I can actually get ahead, and you guys will actually be getting this next episode early. And if it doesn't, then you'll know the universe is actively working against Dan Tom because there's no way someone can work this fucking hard and be 
fucking late on something that I want to give to you guys at a decent time. So I will be making up for it. I promise this won't be the beaten red child of 2018. We are stepping it up. Suggestions are always welcome. Lunatics run the asylum. Please, any shares, any feedback, any ratings and reviews, especially because Dan Tom's a fucking idiot and still hasn't set up his pod track. I don't even know how many people are listening to this thing. Let me know if you're listening. Shout, rate, review, share, like, message. Or if not, if you don't, let me know you're listening by giving me some feedback. That's right. Again, lunatics run the asylum. You can have some control of the show. Protectyourneckpodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up at DanTomMMA. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I'll probably do a recap show. And until next time, protect your neck.